The Space God Memoirs. Episode 16 I woke with a start, hearing the creak of my cell door in the background. Against my forehead was the cool barrel of a gun. Sir Allian the Scragger stood over me, pointing his relic of a blaster at my head. Get up, pilot, said Allian's metallic voice from inside his helmet. Behind him stood another knight, taller and bulkier, dressed all in green. Somnar. What, are you letting me go? I asked. Quiet and stand up, said Allian. Are you finally executing me? I asked. Shut up! He slapped me in the face with the back of his gun. Not hard enough to break anything, but enough to sting. Ow! I yelled. Fine, fine! I stood up. I guess even that's better than sitting in this cell all my life. Sir Scragger led us down the dingy prison hall while Somnar got behind us to make sure I didn't run. We turned a few corners, passing by a handful of cells, none of them occupied, and a few rooms filled with cranks, wheels, and rusted-over control panels. We eventually ascended a short flight of stairs and were greeted by the blinding light of day. When my eyes had recovered, I looked upon one of the Iron Palace's open courtyards. This was not the same one we had met Ophiro in, but was narrower and looked like a practice yard for the knights with one side featuring a line of mechanical training dummies, with sparring mats and benches opposite them. Up above, the sky still looked off, with subtle reddish hues behind the looming clouds. I couldn't tell what time of day it was. Those alien behemoths were still up there. That big, crab-looking one seemed closer to the city now, and in the light of morning it was clearer, its deep brown hull veined with rivets of red and green, its underside covered in spikes and strange protuberances that looked like feelers. The sight of the thing still made my skin all crawly. Move along, said Sir Somnar, prodding me with the tip of the large axe he held. I kept walking, towards a portcullis on the other end of the long courtyard. Off to our left, a smaller door opened. From it emerged two figures. One was a knight in red and orange armor. The second was Rayleigh. She looked relieved to see me and darted forward before her escort grabbed her by the arm. I could see that her eyes were bloodshot, one of them with a dark bruise around it. Are you all right? I shouted, seeing Rayleigh's eye. What have they done to you? Birds? The others? Silence, said Allian, pointing his gun at me. The other knights stopped. Go on, Sir Allian said Somnar's bellowing voice. We're not shooting this one yet. We're to get him to the launch point first. The launch point? I asked, looking at both knights. We'll find out when we get there. No more questions, said Alien. Why not? I responded. Your buddy there just said you're not going to shoot me. Sir Alien lowered his gun. With his other hand, he jabbed me just below the ribs. I doubled over in pain, 
falling to the ground and grasping my abdomen. Sir Alien turned around, facing Rayleigh and his fellows. See, that's what happens when you ask too many questions, he said to Rayleigh. By the time I got to my feet again, two more figures emerged from the door. Burge, his hands cuffed behind him, and a lady knight in faded blue armor holding him in place. She dragged Burge forward. He had bruises all over his face and neck, worse than Rayleigh. His shirt, torn in a few places, was soaked with blood. Rayleigh let out a gasp as she saw him. As I said, we need you alive, said Alien. Your friends, on the other hand, are quite a bit more expendable. Alien still had his gun in hand. He pointed it at Burge and fired. A searing green beam shot from the tip and struck Burge square in the chest. There was a flash of light, a brief sound, a sizzle and pop. Then I forced myself to look. Burge's eyes stared ahead blankly, dead. His head slumped down. Below it, a gaping hole in his chest, blackened and empty. The knight who had dragged Burge out finally let him drop limply to the ground. My mind went numb. A distant part of me wanted to think of some insult to hurl at them or some witty retort. But that didn't happen. I just stood there, frozen. The last instant of my friend's life still replaying, brief as it was. Rayleigh let loose a blood-curdling scream. As I said, we are not planning on killing you at the moment. However, your friends mean nothing to us. If you value the life of the other, he said, glaring at Rayleigh, you will accompany us without struggle. Tears were streaming down Rayleigh's face, but she couldn't bear to look at the smoldering corpse of the man she had loved for nearly five years. She hung limply, the knight still gripping her hand. Without a word, I nodded. We all walked forward, in a line towards a ramp that rose up, just past the practice area. The ramp turned twice as it ascended one of the palace's encircling walls. Soon we found ourselves atop a short section of wall overlooking the northern half of the city. In the middle of it was our ship, Odisa's silver hull shining in the sunlight. In front of it stood a cadre of people. Chief among them was Prince Sofiro, who waited in front of the ship's back door, hands folded calmly over his waist. Bakibra was beside him, along with the knights Jettis and Vorse, all standing strategically around their prince. Sir Scragger and the other knights continued to prod us forward, until we stood directly in front of the prince. As we approached, I could hear the crackled greetings between knights, sounding robotic through their helm breathers. The knights pushed Rayleigh and me forward. I looked right at the prince. What in the green ocean is going on here? I asked, not at all in the mood for proper court etiquette. The pale man stared right back, saying nothing. First off, I continued, your people arrest us for no reason. Then your psychotic knight over there murders my friend. Now I see you standing up there with our ship, the same ship we were demonstrating to you yesterday, assuming, like idiots, that we'd be compensated, not robbed and assaulted. Not exactly diplomatic, I know. But at that moment, I was barely holding back my desire to strangle the Scrag Lord. Silence, the prince finally said, his voice surprisingly resonant. Your technology will serve our purpose. The Kingdom of Ganadria requires the vessel for a very specific task. The prince paused and looked over to his protector. Inform this man of his role, Bakibra. 
he said. Bakibra removed her helmet with a hiss of air. She looked over the two of us, her face betraying no emotion. Her eyes stopped on me. I will tell you why you have been brought here, said the knight, speaking with measured restraint in her voice. By orders of the king, we are enlisting you as a pilot and guide. I raised an eyebrow and stared at her. To my side, Rayleigh just looked at the ground, her expression distant. We have been informed, continued Bakibra, that you are an expert in ancient ruins, along with navigating them. As well, you are one of the few pilots in the region attuned to a shift engine. Um, lady, I said, the ship isn't in full work and order. It can fly, but you certainly won't be able to ascend into the upper atmosphere, let alone actually leave the planet. It shall do, for purposes of the mission, stated the knight. What mission? I asked. That is a matter of royal secrecy, I am afraid. You will be told what you need to know in order to do your part in it. My part? Yes, Mr. Keff. You will be accompanying our forces, piloting them in your ship, and guiding them to their destination. You want me to guide you somewhere? Where? I asked. To the north, across the great chasm, to the ruin called Balnar, and then through it. Balnar? I stated with incredulity. What would any sane person want in that death trap? Wait. I paused, briefly. I forget. You're not sane. None of you are. The keeper narrowed her eyes at me. I wondered if she was going to strike me. Yeah, I continued, not caring if she did. You bastards could have just asked. A sack of coins, perhaps? A promise of pay and reward? Instead, it's good old murder and kidnapping. The keeper turned her head to the left, towards Sir Alien. I apologize for any trouble, she stated, diplomatically. But I can assure you that the Ganadrian Knights are an honorable group. Any violence is committed only as a last resort, to punish the guilty or to protect the innocent. Alien stepped forward. We committed no crimes, he stated without emotion. What we did was necessary, in order to get this rabble to go along with us. We did what we had to do. I was about to say something rude when I saw Rayleigh step forward. She looked straight at Alien with tears in her eyes and her small hands balled into fists. Dug a shit! She hissed. Bert wasn't resisting you, she began to sputter. You, you just shot. Whatever, stated Sir Alien. Your memory's obviously muddled by your emotions. Rayleigh began muttering something under her breath, but it never fully came out. Instead, she lifted her right fist and went to punch the knight. Before she could make contact, I saw a blur to my left, as Bakibra stepped between the two and pushed Rayleigh backward. She fell with a huff of breath. Alien already had his hand on his blaster. Probably a good thing Bakibra had held Rayleigh back. Like I said, continued Bakibra, we are in need of your services, Mr. Keff. Yeah, Balnar. I heard. But why in the scrag would you want to go there? Have the knights taken up archaeology? No, she said. Our mission itself is confidential. All you need to know is that we must first arrive at the city, and then find our way to the northern end of it. You have been there, correct? Yeah, a few times. Mostly just in and out jobs. Not like I stayed there long or anything. I see, said Bakibro with a neutral nod. 
Then you will fly our party to Belnar and guide us through it. It wasn't a question. No, I answered as if it was a question. I don't see why I should. First of all, you haven't told me why you're going. That is, like I stated, confidential. It is our business in the King's. Of course, I love secrets, I said sarcastically. Second, the pay. You planning on paying me a handsome sum for all this? Maybe a nice estate outside of Ganadria or something? Indeed, she answered. Provided you make it back alive, you will be compensated fully and generously by the king. Hmm, I nodded. And third, scrag you. Like I noted before, you yugs have the audacity to show up and murder my friend, kidnap both of us, and then expect me to be all happy about working for you? So again, scrag you, scrag your mission, and the damn king to boot. Saliva sprayed from my mouth as I shouted, my head getting hot and my muscles tensed up. I knew that last bit might get me in trouble. But like I've stated before, I wasn't always the smartest guy back then. And after what had just happened, I was already coming to the understanding that I probably didn't actually have much of a choice here. The keeper frowned, shaking her head. She really looked puzzled, probably not used to anyone refusing the knights. Sir Alien, on the other hand, didn't look puzzled at all. He stepped sideways and quickly drew his blaster. He pointed it straight at Rayleigh's head. She barely suppressed a scream as he held it against her temple, its barrel already powering up. You see, he said to Bakibra, there's a reason I decided to take the girl along. Insurance. This scavenger here may or may not care about the pay. His life might be such a wreck, in fact, that he may not care if we threaten to kill him. But I assure you, he will do his job, and do it well or I will splatter this girl's brains across the palace grounds. I said nothing, but lowered my own head in acquiescence, already contemplating just how I would murder them all given the chance. That was simple enough, said Alien to Bakibra. He looked at Sir Samnar on his left side. Take the girl to the ship. Per my orders, make sure she is unharmed until I say otherwise. Yes, sir, responded Samnar. He grabbed Rayleigh by the arm and made for the back hatch of the ship. As he pulled her away, Rayleigh turned to me again, and our eyes met, hers still bloodshot from the tears, but a resolute expression on her face. I nodded and tried to give her the best and cockiest smile I could manage. Alien immediately ended the exchange, pulling me to face him with a powerful grip. No, cuff, isn't it? If you don't exactly like all this, keep it to yourself. Your little girlfriend there will be well and safe, unless I give the word. And then she'll be killed in a slightly more painful way than your buddy. Understood? I looked to Bakibra. I could see the hint of a well-guarded anger forming in her eyes, and the edges of her lips. She didn't agree with this, but still she said nothing, despite the fact that she seemed to be in command here. At least second in command after her prince. That prince was standing there, in the same exact spot, his ivory-hued eyes occasionally moving, darting from me to Bikibra to Alien. But otherwise, he was completely still, unsmiling, unfrowning, his hands clasped, his chest barely moving with each shallow breath he took. I suppose it'll also be off, said Alien. The men and I need ample time to prepare for our journey. 
Your Majesty. He made a deep bow to the prince, who barely acknowledged his knight with a blink of the eyes. He then turned around and walked back down the ramp. After around a minute of silence, when Sir Alien was out of sight, the Kibra spoke. Very well, she said after a short exhale. I suppose that is that. She folded her arms across her chest and looked down for a moment. In the bright light of day, the Kibra looked tired, dark circles under her eyes. The lines of her face made more visible in the stark daylight. That view lasted only an instant. In another instant, she looked back to her porcelain prince, Ophiro, who was silently observing the whole occasion like how Ven used to observe his experiments. They locked eyes, and Ophiro nodded ever so slightly. We'll give you a moment to prepare yourself, said Bakibra. If all was in order, we will begin the fight as soon as possible. I nodded, not meeting her eyes. I was in no mood to be friendly with these people. Bakibra and her prince turned away, both of them heading towards the rear hatch of the ship. Soon afterwards, I was led there myself, my thoughts still a jumble of confusion, anger, and general tiredness. Everything was happening so quickly it felt unreal. A strange and bizarre dream of disconnected events. My head was heavy and I could feel my heartbeats. The knights led me along. I wasn't manacled and I wasn't even prodded by drawn weapons. But still, I knew that in a moment they could break a bone or cave in my skull with one of those powered fists if I tried to make a move. They had Rayleigh. My mind raced with ideas of whether those bastards would hurt her. Not much I could do about any of that right then, though. So I did my best to look calm as they pushed me towards the pilot's seat. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoyed the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.